cooking is work and we don't do enough to acknowledge that, that's part of the whole issue, right? This is unpaid work you're doing. <laughs> um, for yourself, hopefully, you know, I'm one of the lucky souls who enjoys cooking and not everyone does for yourself and for your family. So I think the first step is that acknowledging that it's work is really useful. That's Sarah Searle. She created the blog Yellow House. As you can imagine, she cooks a lot, but she's still trying to figure out women's relationship to the kitchen in the modern world. We're going to come back to her at the end of the episode, but first, let's meet a woman who was considering these questions at least 150 years ago. Mary Terhune hoped to impress her new husband with a fancy first meal. Having never touched a piece of raw meat before, she sought guidance from Miss Leslie's complete cookery. Six years after it first appeared in 1850, the book was already in its 55th edition. If she couldn't trust Miss Leslie, who could she trust? She threw a pat of butter into the skillet, set it over hot coals, and then turned to that giant hunk of beefsteak she'd brought home from the butchers. Blood red and clammy, it gave her full body chills. She decided to wash it off before dropping it into the skillet. After all, Miss Leslie hadn't said a thing about drying it off first. But with so much water in the skillet, the steak never properly browned. Her meal was ruined. Far from impressing Reverend Terhune, this sodden gray disaster of a beefsteak had revealed young Mary's complete incompetence in the kitchen. But it had also awakened her ambition, her stubborn persistence in the face of failure. If she couldn't do it, she would learn to do it. And as for Miss Leslie, she was out with the trash. To my certain knowledge, a neighbor assured Mary, Miss Leslie is boarded in a Philadelphia hotel for 20 years. I wouldn't give a guinea a gross for her books. Perhaps it was at this very moment that Mary Terhune decided she could do it better. She would make her own cookbook. I'm Brendan Wolf, editor of Encyclopedia Virginia at Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. On this episode of Not Even Past, we meet a woman who helped change the way that Americans learned how to cook. Her first love, though, was writing. Born Mary Virginia Hawes in tiny Dennisville, Virginia, southwest of Richmond, she'd begun submitting stories to magazines as a teenager. At first, she used a male pseudonym until finally settling on the name Marion Harland. By the time she married the Reverend in 1856, she'd authored two successful novels. In 1861, with Virginia on the brink of secession, she moved with her husband to New Jersey, where a decade later, the weight of that failed beefsteak still weighed on her. As her neighbor had suggested, she stopped reading cookbooks and instead sought the wisdom of the women around her. She started collecting their recipes, making them her own through testing and preparation. In 1871, the Mrs. Reverend Terhune, still using the name Marion Harland, published Common Sense in the Household, a manual of practical housewifery. In addition to general tips, it had entire chapters on pancakes and pickles. It was an instant success. Readers cottoned to Harland's descriptive writing, which added a bit of comedy to cooking. Handle the beauty with gentle respect, she wrote, referring to a rainbow trout. If large, score the backbone with a sharp knife, 
taking care not to mar the comeliness of his red-spotted sides. By the time he's done baking, he should be so well looked after that his royal robe hardly shows a seam or rent. You learn how to cook your fish by reading Marion Harland, but there's more to it than that. She takes you into her confidence. You become co-conspirators, fellow adventurers. The fish is not your chore, it's your mission. For instance, do you contemplate frying a pickerel fish? I urge this with groaning of spirit, Harland writes, in remembrance of the many times in which I have had my sense of fitness, not to say appetite, outraged by seeing the gallant fish brought to table dried to a crisp throughout, all his juices wasted and sweetness utterly departed. And here you can picture Harlan grabbing her charge, the novice housewife she herself once was, and demanding her attention. Especially do not fry him slowly and too long, and when he's done, take him out of the grease. In the years after the Civil War, there was an explosion in cookbook publishing. It was fueled by cheap industrial printing and an ever-expanding market among the new aspirational middle class. And just like her audience, Harland was ambitious. She might have chosen to write a regional cookbook, drawing on the cuisine of her native Virginia. Instead, she wrote a general cookbook. Her audience was national, and she spoke to them as a friend might. If I chance to find in your workbasket or upon the kitchen dresser a well-thumbed copy of my beloved Common Sense, she wrote, with copious annotations in the margin, I shall, so far from feeling wounded, be flattered in having so diligent a student. And with your permission, shall engraft the most happy suggestions upon the next edition. Happy for suggestions, yes, but still, she wrote from on high, above her readers, looking down. Marion Harlan was uncompromising on certain aspects of good housekeeping. Use none but the best materials for making cake. If you cannot afford to get good flour, dry white sugar and the best family butter, make up your mind to go without your cake and eat plain bread with a clear conscience. Let them eat cake, but only if it's the best quality. There's a political layer to all this cake, or maybe it's a class layer, or both. For Harland, home-cooked meals had become a moral imperative. We should be lost as a nation without them. But more practically, she also believed that women must learn to cook so that we all could eat more tasty, healthy food. Even at the turn of the century, this idea struck some as, well, rather conservative. Many women preferred a life outside the home, and they didn't need Marion Harlan telling them how to tidy up their drawing rooms. Harlan, of course, saw it differently. Mastering housekeeping did not chain women to the kitchen. To the contrary, it offered talented women the training required to pursue their other passions. After all, Harlan spoke from personal experience. She found the time to have it all. Why couldn't everyone else? She was active on the lecture circuit, and she was her family's main breadwinner, her writing so lucrative that she and the reverend could take their children on regular trips to Europe. By her way of thinking, she was able to succeed at writing in the first place only because she had first conquered her household duties. 
Of course, others saw a less than delicious bit of irony in how Marion Harland held up domesticity as the pinnacle of femininity when she herself had three servants helping to run her household. Harland disavowed women's suffrage, and yet her writing fits into a more subtle movement to increase the recognition of women's value, both inside and outside the home. The Industrial Revolution had done more than simply make it easier to print and sell cookbooks. It had begun to redefine the entire idea of work. In this new era of manufacturing and big business, work happened outside the home and according to principles of top-down organization and precise scheduling. Work, in other words, was the purview of men. Some women challenged this by re-envisioning domestic work as a kind of science, with formulas, recipes, and precise measurements. Harlan nodded to this highly systematized approach in her recipe writing. She was among the earliest writers to list ingredients before the directions. Like every other science, housewifery had to be learned, which meant that women who took care of their homes were, in fact, mastering one of the only spheres of life left open to them. So yes, clean the house and cook the food, do the shopping. But once you've figured that out, you should also have time to, say, translate the classics. Harlan held up as an example a friend of hers, the most scholarly woman and also the best housekeeper I know. One day, a male visitor paid her a visit complaining both about potatoes and Virgil. In the course of the afternoon, Harlan wrote, he received from his fair neighbor a folded paper and a covered dish. Opening the former, he read a metrical translation of the disputed passage so beautiful and striking that he could no longer doubt that she had discovered the poet's meaning more truly than had he. The dish also contained a delicious potato custard. Nowadays, you could mail order that potato custard. And if you have the money, meal kit services and boundless delivery options make it easier than ever to feed yourself and your family. Despite this, or no, maybe because of this, there's also been a renewed interest in cooking. Even given the exploitative history of women in the kitchen, it makes you wonder, can women reclaim the kitchen as a place of pleasure? Not even past producer Miranda Bennett put that question to Sarah Searle who you heard at the beginning of the show. She's been writing recipes and stories on her blog, Yellow House, since 2011 from her home in rural Virginia. I get approached by people sometimes who want to do an interview talking about how like millennial women are getting back to traditional ways of living. Um, and I write back to them and say, well, that's really not what my blog is about at all, actually. This is just a really small piece of my life. And actually, you know, I don't, cook for a living. I actually, you know, I work in global public health. And um, <laughs> even though I am the primary cook in my family, it's it's not through a desire necessarily to get back to some traditional way of life. So uh, I think it's interesting how as a woman, um, if people see you doing that and celebrating the act of cooking, that they then in turn want to believe that you are um, promoting a particular uh, type of, I guess, gendered role in the kitchen. <laughs> They're not separable to some people. We're primed to be skeptical of anything that says women can derive pleasure from cooking, in part due to writers like Marion Harland. 
It's hard to imagine women enjoying cooking because until fairly recently, women were expected to do it whether they liked it or not. I think it's led generations of women, you know, I'm thinking of like the 50s, to be really resentful about home cooking because it is work and it's unacknowledged work. But if we can acknowledge it as such, then it paves the way for a more productive discussion, I think, in households about um, about the type of labor that women are doing and making sure that it's more equitably distributed. And having that conversation with her husband about how domestic labor is split is an ongoing conversation. I, it happens in my household that because I enjoy cooking and also because I'm a reasonably good home cook, I think, I'm like a little pickier about the final end product. So some, in some ways I would rather be the one who cooks it so that I enjoy it more. Um, but it is a stated thing between my partner and I that that actually is you know, part of our household labor and that it is work. My husband has been really helpful in telling me to say, you know, on the days when you're in the office and, you know, although it's assumed that I'm typically in charge of these things, on the days that you're in the office and it's like late and you're stressed, just tell me and I'll take it over. So, you know, having a a relationship that works to overcome some of these gendered responsibilities is helpful. Not that she expects everyone to cook. It could just be constant drudgery, but I am lucky enough um, to be in a position um, where it is sometimes enjoyable and I have the leisure time and the resources to be able to do so now that doesn't mean that everyone has to do it. And I think that's the caveat, is that I'm not saying everyone has to do what I'm doing. Because I don't want people to think that I'm promoting this traditional domestic role for women. Um, And for a while, you know, I actually talked to some of my friends and my husband and I was like, maybe I am, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's not possible to be promoting home cooking and be someone who identifies, you know, as a woman and not be promoting it if you're at all successful with it. And I but that's that's ridiculous, right? You can't you have to be able to enjoy something or be good at something, even if it is like a traditionally gendered role, um, and not be seen as taking people backwards. Part of the switch happens when we think of cooking as work. So by reframing it as like household labor, we actually sort of achieve a lot because first of all, we're saying, oh, this isn't just an expectation that a woman should do, right? And then second of all, wow, it's something I'm choosing to do because I sometimes enjoy it. That's such a huge reversal of the narrative of like a traditional domestic responsibility. That makes cooking less an expression of your worth. Say you make a lackluster soup. If it's just work, then next time you'll add more tomatoes or more salt and it'll be better. Whereas in the past, that bland soup was a reflection on a woman's character and her social value. (laughs) That's so depressing. (laughs) Can you imagine? We're very lucky. (laughs) We are. But that's the sort of thing that Marion Harland would say. As a woman, your primary function is cooking and housekeeping. You may have other passions, but you have to learn how to cook well and efficiently first. Then once you do, you'll have the time to do those other things. Housekeeping isn't a job. It's an essential part of being a woman. So first figure out how to be a good housewife. Then after that, you can pursue your other interests. Sort of the way I would look at it is like flipping that narrative. You know, you conquer whatever you want to first. And, um, you know, if you if you have a home um, and a household, then that work, you figure out how to distribute it among the inhabitants of that household. Um, and it's just work. It's not the essence of of womanhood, traditional or otherwise. Yeah. I think there's there's sort of a, a bit of reclamation happening here on my on my behalf, which is that, you know, 
I did not set out to, <laughs> to be someone who writes about home cooking. And so in a sense, to be able to achieve your goals as a woman, career-wise or otherwise, um, and still be able to do this and enjoy it, um, but to make it fit a more equitable household, um, a lifestyle that is hopefully more equitable than it was in the 50s or in the 1900s, um, that's really exciting. To learn more about Marion Harland, go to encyclopediavirginia.org. Not Even Past is a member of the Teej.fm podcast network. Find out more at teej.fm. This podcast is produced by Miranda Bennett.